Come in. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hello there, Hawkeye fans. This is the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast. I am Rob Howe, joined by Scott Docterman from The Athletic. It is a little before 9.15 a.m. Central Time on Thursday, August the 17th, as we creep closer to kickoff. We had some uh, a, a rare... Uh, opportunity to watch Iowa practice some football on Saturday at Kids Day. Uh, last Friday was Media Day. Uh, a lot of talk on the gambling situation, which we'll get to later in the podcast. The Iowa basketball teams wrapped up their foreign tours, 3-0. and uh, Not sure how much we learned from those, but we'll hit on that later on as well. But I think when you get the rare opportunity to watch Iowa football practice, we get it twice a year, uh, the last spring practice, uh, and then kids day. And then we get like a couple minutes of watching them stretch during the spring. Uh, that's, that's about it. But, uh, and even less coming out this year, Scott, in terms of, uh, photos and videos from practice, uh, Fort Kinnick is on lockdown. Uh, this preseason compared to recent years. I'm not sure what's going on with that, but uh, we did get a chance on Saturday to uh, watch them practice and uh, collective gasp went through uh, Hawkeye Nation on Saturday when Cade McNamara hit the turf and got up limping. Sounds like he's going to be okay, and I'm sure they've got him in bubble wrap over there now. Uh, but my, I think my biggest takeaway is Iowa's no, this is no offense to any of the other quarterbacks, but there is a large drop off between he and the rest of the guys. Not saying they can't go in there and do the job, particularly against a crappy Utah State team, but uh, this team, the complexion of this team just would tra- change dramatically if something were to happen to McNamara. Yeah, this team isn't built to go seven and five, Rob. This team isn't built to go eight and four and go to the Duke's Mayo Bowl, I guess it's not in the rotation this year, you know, to go to, uh, you know, a mid to lower tier bowl. That's not what it's here for. And that's what you get if you don't, if you don't have Cade McNamara taking snaps. And it was quite a scare, I would say, you know, when you see a guy who's had a surgically repaired right knee scramble and then go down 
awkwardly. It was like he was trying to figure out, should I keep running or should I fall? And then that indecision sent him to the turf. And then he pulls himself off. He's out in the training room, what, for 45 minutes to an hour. And it felt like two or three days um, because at that point, the rest of the scrimmage didn't matter to me. It was just like, whatever, you know, it's all about what happens with Kay McNamara. It turns out it was, uh, you know, at least in the aftermath that there doesn't seem to be any concern that it was, you know, whether it was a quad tweak, that's probably about right because, you know, everybody's eyes and cameras were focused on McNamara when he, when he went back on the field and was talking to Ferentz and then walked off. If he, he would have had a different kind of limp, if uh, if it was a hamstring and certainly if it was a knee and so it looked more like a quad to me which is painful it's the best of the bunch to have and you know for Kirk said he's gonna you know probably wear out the training staff which sounds about right but I saw enough from him to make me think okay he's he's probably a pretty good player and then I also saw enough inconsistency let's put it that way from from Deacon Hill to where in the spring I was pretty hopeful. I thought, ah, oh, okay, this guy's this guy's not bad, you know, to, ooh, uh, this might be an issue when you're going to Penn State, even Iowa State, some of the other schools. So it's Cade McNamara's team, no question. I won't even entertain the thought of, well, what if if, no, it's Cade McNamara's team, end of story, move on. Yeah, I think I felt better that he came back out after, you know, the evaluation. I think if it was serious, he wouldn't have came come back out onto the field. And he still had his, you know, he still had his football pants on. He just didn't have his pads and his his top uh, jersey on. But I, I felt like it it was something that if it was bad, they would not have had him come walk back out there and talk to, to Ferentz. They would have met back in the football building and, went over it there. So that was a good sign. And yeah, inconsistent is a good word to use for, um, and we didn't see Joe Labus either. He's, yeah. he's been sidelined with an injury. So that takes a, that takes a, a decent sized piece out of that quarterback room uh, because, you know, beyond Cade McNamara, I mean, he's actually played in a game, um, yeah. you know, so, and then obviously uh, Marco Lainez is uh a true freshman, and he kind of looked like a true freshman. Yeah. I think his first one or two snaps were fumbled, or you know, the quarterback center exchange was not good in that the first couple of plays that he ran. But he made he made a few nice plays. Um, I thought Deacon Hill had some nice throws as well. I think the thing that, and I don't know if they were just doing it for the the fans that were in the stands, but they came out taking shots down the field. They they threw the ball down the field right away early and often. And that was good to see. And it was good to see that there were players on the other end of the throws that were there to make plays, you know, from yes. Seth Anderson to Deontay Vines. Um, you know, it. I, I felt better coming out about the wide receiver group than I did going in. I thought Jared Blue, Bowie looked pretty good. Uh, Dayton Howard had some nice plays. Uh, you can go down the list. There, there was... There was some – they have some wide receivers, which after last year is a, is a, is a step forward. 
Yeah, as long as they're all healthy for the opener and they don't uh, have, oh, yeah, we just all we have uh, for week one is Caleb Brown. And that's the only one like last year with Arlen Bruce. You know, that would be a tragedy for a team, you know, second year in a row. But no, I think uh, I agree with you. Um, Seth Anderson was I won't you know, he was somewhat of a surprise because we didn't see him in the spring. Then when Caleb Brown came, he kind of got pushed to the back like, yeah, well, you know, he's yesterday's news. We didn't see him. He's just a guy. Move on. No, we saw him and he made some really nice catches. He has some good wheels to him. I think he's legitimately, you know, probably the number three receiver right now. Um, You know, Nico has, has been there. (laughs) <laughs> I I brought this up when I was looking at some of the, the the stats and stuff. And when he played in the Holiday Bowl, and you look at ever at the pass catchers on that team on both teams, and he's like the one left standing. But um, on USC, had Michael Pittman and Drake London and <laughs> Amon Amon Ross St. Brown, Velas Jones, all four were top, you know, draft picks, you know, and St. Brown's phenomenal. London was a first rounder and Pittman was a high second rounder. Then on Iowa side, you have a high second rounder and Sam Laporta will start Amir Smith, Marset, who, you know, was the MVP that day. And Nico was second in receiving yards that day among, you know, uh, uh, after I'm on Ross St. Brown. <laughs> yeah. Has been a pretty freaking good player for the Lions. So <laughs> you're like, okay, he's been around for a while. He doesn't need to go to kids day and show off. He's all right, you know, but I, I think vines looked the part. I'm, you know, I don't know if there's a true number one, if there's some guy that you think, yeah, they're going to be third team, all big 10 or anything. I don't know about that. I'm not going there right now, but what I'll say is they look competent. They look like they can make plays. They look like they could separate a little bit and they had to go get some really good defenders. Although Cooper wasn't there, but they still got open. They still made contested catches They made plays on the run and the ball was delivered on the run. I mean, things that everybody else takes for granted is like a big deal in Iowa. (laughs) So I, I, I overall, my impression of the passing game when Caden McNamara is in there and the receivers. And as you mentioned, you know, there are other guys who are, I think, you know, you look at it and go, yeah, there's some upside with Jarrett Bowie and, and Dayton Howard that I think, Maybe they'll maybe they'll see some snaps this year. Maybe they'll get in a rotation, and uh, and I really liked what I saw for that for the most part, based on especially where they were last year. But I think going forward, they can make plays, and that's something we haven't seen for since Smith and Smith Marset were there. Yeah, and if you just compare it to where we were at this point last year with injuries and what have you, and a huge Alec Wick fan, I always have been when I watched the play at Regina, and I think he can help this team in different ways as his career goes on. But he having him out there as a starter last year at the season opener to where they are now is night and day. And I think Alec would tell you that as well in terms of what his, what that room looks like. And uh, I tweeted out a, a, a video of, of Caleb Brown's catch last night, which was, I thought I, I thought when I first saw it, I'm like, did he catch that with what, but I'm so far away and I'm taking videos. So it's hard to watch it. And then as I got, when I got home, I have the, you know, um, with iMovie, I zoomed in. I'm like, holy shit. He caught that like sideways with backhanded one hand. Yeah. And I'm like, that's, I mean, it's only one play, but that gives you an idea of the capabilities, the, 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 you know, what these guys can do. Um, and then you mix that with 
a really strong group of running backs, which we can talk about, yeah. and then the tight ends, namely Steve Stilianos, again, night and day from where he was. I, and Kirk talked about him last year saying he was, you know, when we first talked, when we first talked about Steven last year with Kirk during the summer, he's like, eh, he's a little slow to catch up. He's having trouble. He's caught up and he looks like, you know, just another piece of a really good room. And I did notice, I did notice Eric all ran the wrong route once. It was a, it was the, in the end zone, he and Lachey were running the same route to the corner. And, and I was like, that's gotta be all running the wrong route. And soon as he and Lachey came running back to the huddle, Abdul got Eric and brought him to the side and said, no, that's not where you're supposed to be. So Those are things, though, that you see and you're like, this This is training camp. These are the yeah. things that they need to work through. But it's just nice to see some pieces on offense. Yeah, I agree. I mean, as you said, uh, you know, the depth at tight end. You know, Stilianos, you know, he had a really good run when he was at Lafayette. I mean, which is, let's face it, it's it's not even the the Missouri Valley. No. You know, it's, it, it's a lower level FCS. And to come here and then, oh, by the way, in practice, you're going against Lucas Van Ness and Joe Evans and John Wagner at that time. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's a lot to catch up with very, very quickly. And you're, you know, the, the phrase drinking from the fire hose is, is apt. So he had an, he had an op- option then. you know, he could stick around for a second year at Iowa and fight and try to get into a rotation or play or, or transfer out or just end football. And he chose to stay and fight and, and more power to him. He looked a lot better in my eyes. And then secondly, I thought with, uh, you know, I think Addison Ostranga is a guy that's going to make some waves. Maybe this year he'll be that third slash fourth tight end, but um, you know, catch between five and 10 passes, which doesn't sound like a lot, but I think it'll be a decent number for, for a third or fourth tight end. Um, I love the tight starting tight ends. I think they're, they're fantastic. Now, I don't know that either one of them is as good as Sam Laporta, but I don't know that they're not either. I think they're, they're pretty damn good. They're NFL caliber tight ends. And, uh, and then if you want to get into running back, they have the best running back I've seen since Sean Green, and he's probably got a better body than Sean Green. So uh, I, I hate being this freaking optimistic this time of year because everybody's just, yeah, we've heard this before. And, <laughs> but damn, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of bullish on this offense, you know, as far as being much improved and competitive. And then you throw on, um, you know, if the offensive line can continue to make strides, and I think they have, that, yeah, I think this team could be a really good team this year. Yes, I agree. And I think the tight end position is super healthy in terms of where it is right now because it's just – it's gotten to that point where, you know, there's a there's a main guy or two, and then they leave, and the guys that were behind move up. And it's just – it keeps feeding itself. Because you look at, you know, even Saturday from, you know, Zach Ortworth, um, you know, Kale Vanderbush. I mean, they had catches. I mean, they're so they're kind of being trained now to to move up that ladder as well. And it's, I mean, there's going to be attrition. I mean, there are only so much to go around and they've recruited a lot of tight ends in the last few years. So we'll see how that all shakes out, but very healthy position, same at running back. You know, you look at a Terrell Washington Jr., you look at Kamari Moulton, they look good on Saturday as well behind the top three who, who, 
you know, got a little bit around. Hard to tell in those practices, Scott, because they're not full contact, what they're going to get, you know, after that first contact going through the line. Um, but yeah, I think all, I, I think they're healthy at those positions. And I thought offensive line looked better and run pass pro still a little leaky at times. Um, that's still a concern for me. Um, like you said, improved, but still needs improvement in my mind. And it'll be a matter of, you know, how they work through that. And uh, interesting that Connor Colby was on the second team. Yeah, but he played most of the first team snaps, though, I thought. Yeah. There was some rusty – Feth got in there some, but he was – he was uh, you know, he's listed on the second team, but he's also – he started that scrimmage. And and I, I thought that was okay. And I think – what I think will end up happening is, based on what I saw, I think it'll still be Richmond Colby Jones on the left side in the center. I think Rusty Feth will win probably the right guard position. And, and then – or it could be Colby. They could flip. It just depends on how, you know, they feel. Right tackle to me is very unsettled. Um, I wrote about Jennings. He's the most interesting guy in college football, but um, that's a neat story today. But in a little over two weeks, it'll be a concern. Um, He's a massive human being and maybe guards his position. Maybe it is right tackle. All I know is I saw him get smoked several times on pass rush. He couldn't quite set. He couldn't quite get out far enough against Joe Evans. And, and there, he's going to face some of the best pass rushers in the country this year. I mean, Penn state's chocked full of Mm -hmm. Iowa state has some good ones and Illinois and other players, other schools like that. So I'm, I want to see, I wanted to see Dejon Parker. I mean, that's why you brought him in for, that's why he came here. There it is. Or somebody like Nick DeYoung, who, I think is an improvement right now over last year and probably playing his best football. He's that typical. I think he's got a chance to be that typical fifth year uh, senior that, Hey, you know, he comes along and he's the good story and everything. And I think that's probably uh, where he sits, but you know, the other, on the other side, I did see some pass blocking. I was impressed with from the interior and they had to go against, you know, graves and, and black were the first, guys out there now Logan Lee rotated just as much as they did so I don't know there's not much to read into that but I thought when I saw um, Logan Jones in particular and some of the others they held their own you know they got through of course they won some reps but I I saw a unit that went okay because the thing we got to always remember Rob when we're talking about Iowa's offensive line and these things they're going to get to one of the best defenses in the country one of the best defensive lines in the country so overall I thought it was a good day for the offensive line. It can be better. They can be better. I have some slight concerns, but I think they can be overcome. If, um, you know, if, if they think Jennings Dunker is the best guy and they think he can improve, you know, and maybe it was just an aberration or those were teachable moments by all means. But, you know, I think it's time to, you know, that they need to really start figuring out if it, you know, is that, does Nick Young kick out there or does Dejon Parker going to be healthy enough to, to see a snap in practice? Because right now that poor guy has just not been able to, to stay on the field. I wonder if against Utah State, if they don't rotate a little bit and just kind of get a look at some different um, combinations, like you said, you know, is, is Feth better on the right or left side? Is Colby yeah. better on the right or left side? Um you know, that right tackle spot is Parker back. Um, 
is Dunker bet you know is Jennings Dunker better inside than outside? I tend to think he is, but he could be like you said, somebody that can be developed at right yeah. tackle and and work out there over time. So I have a feeling that against Utah State, we're going to see <laughs> definitely see more than five offensive linemen play oh, early yeah. in that game, and I, I I can see them playing seven eight guys early on and getting some rotations there to get a good feel for what's going on. I think. Jones and Richmond are locked. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I think there's some moving parts. Yeah, I agree. And I think you look at, I think there'll be a place for Colby. I think there'll be a place for Feth. I'm I, a guard for both of them. Not sure which guard mm-hmm. spot, you know, it's, it's going to be about preference and, you know, okay. Is he better with, you know, the way he sets this way versus that way, you know, that that'll work itself out. I Dunker, I think probably has as much upside as any of anybody, but He's still only a sophomore. He's, he's raw. Shows, you know, he's got an incredible, <laughs> he's a mountain, you know, and uh, is that better at guard or tackle? They decided to just go all, all in on tackle this, this year. They haven't moved him around. Nick DeYoung has positional flexibility. He's He was the starting right guard. Um, you know, is he going to be, you know, is he the, the number, is he the ultimate swing man where if somebody goes down, he goes in or is he going to start somewhere and then move around if necessary, depending on who's behind him. You know, we forget about Bo Stevens, but he started 10 games last year. Yep. I, I think he's probably solidly second team right now, but, and that's not a bad thing because I think next year he might be able to start all those games. And then uh, Parker's the wild card just because we haven't seen him. He's been injured a lot. Um, I don't know how much the coaches have seen him. Yeah. I mean, got hurt first practice in the spring. He wasn't, dress it's like dude man I, I and it's not his fault no i mean he'd love to be out there i think yeah yeah i mean you don't just graduate and and i think he got his master's he told me at, at saginaw valley state but you know you don't just come to iowa thinking all right i'm gonna you know just go out there and and just want to get the scholarship and everything he wants to make the most out of it so it's got to be frustrating to him but you got to see him so if i was to harbor a prediction I, I would say right tackle. I would probably, if, if you're going to be conservative, if you're Kirk, Kirk Ferentz and George Barnett and Brian Ferentz, probably go with Nick DeYoung. He's done it. He's improved. He played it in the spring, you know, played tackle anyway. That's a guy that you can get through. But, you know, they probably look at Utah State for sure and then Western Michigan for sure in week three as teams that, yeah, let's see if we can get this guy out there going and and – and that could be Parker, that could be Dunker. But I, the one good thing about this whole thing, Rob, is that there's the the guys who's taken their lumps are more experienced. Right. They look they look more comfortable, and then there's enough depth that there's competition. They've been talking about that for a while, but it's true. When you can throw in, okay, you know, even a Tyler Ellsbury is a junior, exactly. Now, you know, and and he's versatile. Yeah, he can play any of the interior three. He's also played kicked out a little bit and you know so they've got enough bodies now that somebody's going to get hurt somebody's going to sit out somebody's going to whatever um and, and I agree with you that they're going to Barnett told me ideally they go seven that's where they want to be their strong rotation you know but I could see them starting at like eight maybe even nine rotating for the first you know maybe even the Iowa State game too but then Utah State and Western Michigan before they finally say okay we're going to we're going to go with this unit, maybe trade in a few snaps here and there, but largely go with here. 
Yeah, right tackle is obviously, as you said, that's the one that needs to get settled. And I think I'm with you. I think Nick DeYoung, you kind of know the floor. Mm-hmm. He's probably got the highest floor of that group, at least right now. You kind of yeah. know what you're going to get from him. I think with with Parker and Dunker, the ceiling's higher, but you may have to go through more growing pains right now. And and I say that with Parker just because of the health. He's going to come back. He's probably going to be a little rusty. Mm-hmm. If he's could be like Rusty, that would be good. <laughs> he's rusty on the tackle, and then there's yeah. a rusty inside. Yeah, exactly. Perfect looking Rusty, you know. I've got some good pictures of Rusty yeah. from yeah. Media Day and then Kids Day. Yeah. He just looks like a football player. He looks like an offensive guard or center. Yeah, he looks like exactly what Iowa was missing last year. <laughs> you know, just a tough inside dude who big, great big red beard. he's going to kick your ass and it doesn't matter. He may not look the, you know, physique wise, like, like Dunker, you know, just looks like Goliath, but you know, (laughs) he looks like the type that, you know, all right, you know, I've got my pit bull here. I'm in a junkyard and, and you try to get past me to, to get your car out of the lot. I'm I'm going to light you up, you know? (laughs) Um. Look to the other side, and again, the the context of, and when you watch, if you go and watch any of the video I posted, or you were there and you were watching, the context that Scott mentioned earlier of this offensive line working against what will be one of the best defensive lines in the conference should be, you know, you should view it through that lens. And we saw the depth it was funny because somebody asked Kelvin Bell, I can't remember who, and I apologize to whoever it was, asked him about the depth at defensive end on Friday at media day. And he kind of chuckled and said, we're okay. We're okay. <laughs> and then we get to Saturday and Brian Allen and Max Llewellyn and, you know, guys like that are just terrorizing the backup tackles, uh, offensive tackles. And I was just – just in really good shape on defensive line. And it allows you to do so much on defense when you have that type of depth to be able to keep guys fresh. Um, I'm really looking forward to see what, seeing what that, that, that front four can do this season, who was ever in there. Cause they can go, they can go three deep at tackle. At least um, there's plenty of depth at end. Um, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Cause you, you look at the most veteran guy of the group, um, the most decorated guy of the group is not going to be there, you know, in Noah Shan, at least for, could be two games. It could be more. We don't no. know yet. Hey, but, NCAA, could you get to that? Uh, yeah. You know, it's a sixth year senior. Yeah. He, he doesn't exactly have all season here. The season starts in a couple of weeks. You might, <laughs> I understand, but you know, anyway, but I look at, okay, let's say he's out, you know, in past years, if we we're to go back, turn the clock back to like 2016 or 17, it would be like, Oh my God, they're, mm-hmm. they're in kind of some trouble here for a little while. Um, you know, guy, when they throw in, you know, a guy I think had comparable ability to Noah Shannon, a little different, but Cedric Lattimore, when he gets thrown out there as a true freshman, just to say, <laughs> just tie up blockers, man, you know, just, yeah. just don't even worry about it, you know, play two gap, stay there. Don't worry about any tech, you know, eat up 20 snaps a game. Now you're looking at, um, you know, Logan Lee, who's, you know, a two-year starter going on year three. Y.A. Black and Aaron Graves, who I think as much as I like Logan and Noah, 
I think they have way more upside. I think they are Sunday players. Uh, just massive. If you, if YA Black stays healthy, he's going to be an absolute force. And probably one of those players that <laughs> next year at the Combine, everybody's going to say, why didn't you start at Iowa? <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's sad but true. And then Aaron Graves will be the same way if he was eligible. Outside, as you said, I, yeah, you know, I wasn't necessarily concerned, but I was like, mm, I wonder what they have there. Well, Joe Evans, again, 60-year guy, last two years tied for the team high in sacks. Deontay Craig looks to me to be the next superstar type, probably, a, you know, whether it's next year or the year after, a top 100 NFL draft pick type. Um, then, then you, as you said, you go down the next tier, Max Llewellyn, Ethan Herkett, and Brian Allen was all over the place. He was exactly why everybody went, yeah, this is a big pickup, especially when he flipped from Illinois to Iowa. Um, I saw some real freaking potential there. And he always had kind of that body that you're looking for, but he also look at him and now and go, okay, he's built now for big 10 football. And, and then the other guy that's probably going to replace Snow at least early on, and then probably see snaps throughout the seasons wasn't there on Saturday, Jeremiah Pittman. Um, he was at a wedding, which Kirk kind of, eh, you know, and I kind of get it. <laughs> it's football, <season. laughs> you know, time to move on. But uh, he wasn't there. But I think he's, you know, certainly he might be D-tackle number five, but only a couple of years ago, he might have been D-tackle number three or two. So ah, this this unit could go 10 deep. And if you want if you want a unit that can go 10 deep, it's defensive line for sure at Iowa. Yeah, and Antonio Thompson didn't yeah. practice Saturday either. So another guy that I think has a, has a pretty good uh, future ahead of him as yeah. well so um yeah it's uh embarrassment of riches at defensive line you hope not to jinx them uh and then there'll be injuries and then we um you know they're they're they are equipped to sustain some injuries but having that depth and and having everybody healthy and being able to rotate and keep guys fresh is a big part of the process up front so what'd you think at linebacker I thought uh I thought the 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 top three looked good I th- I thought you know Higgins Jackson and uh Rex Roth all looked looked real good um little drop off after that but you know those guys are still still working their way up I think you know, before we get the edicts from the NCAA, that's probably my biggest concern on defense is depth at linebacker. If Higgins and Jackson are on the field, I feel pretty good about what they are. I think they are, uh, you know, a really solid combo. Are they as good as, I mean, Campbell and Benson were. There's going to be a drop off. There just is. And Campbell is different. Yeah. But Jackson's really good. And I think we're going to see more and more of that. Higgins is not as tested as we're kind of led to believe, but I think he's not bad either. I think he can be like Benson. Mm-hmm. And, I th- and I think I look at Jackson and I think Anthony Hitchens, you know, and Hey, if you're, if you got Seth Benson and Anthony Hitchens, you know, you're in pretty good shape. I mean, Campbell don't even think about it. It's like saying somebody's the next Tyler Linderbaum. Let's just not, not move, go there right now. Um, but, you know, Jackson Rexroth, who I think played well as both the Leo and also weak side, he was mm-hmm. in there. He might be their number three as a walk-on, and that's not a bad thing. And then I also look at Jaden Harrell, I thought was okay at times. He had some moments. I went back, and he popped out on the film a couple times when I went back. Yeah. And I thought, um, 
uh, let's see, Carson Shire wasn't there. And that's a guy they've always liked. And that's one that they want to get on the field that I think has a chance. Um, you know, there's a lot, there's still a lot of room to me for that position group. I just think that they've got, you know, they, they need somebody to take steps forward out of that mid, that younger group. And I think Rex Roth is the one that's taken the first step. And, uh, but I want to see Zach Tweed and Jaden Harrell and other guys, you know, Ben Keeter has a chance, although he was in there really late. I don't know if it'll be a little while before he gets to see some action, but, you know, of course his day off activity last week was spent <laughs> wrestling and running three miles and, you know, yeah, okay, he's, go do he's, that now. <laughs> he, said, he said he's not wired that way to take a day off. And uh, that's, uh, that couldn't be any more accurate. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, to do it in training camp is just loco, but go for it, man. <laughs> they didn't get Gable Steveson, so, you know, yeah. you know, I don't know what about it's going to go on with Cassiope, but Van Kekerich was out too, right? Yeah, he was out too. So. Yeah, he's another guy I think that um Aiden Hall he was in late too as well with with uh with Keeter, the true freshman they def are definitely well down the depth chart. I think, like you said, Scott, they're looking at that pack that's, you know, in that third year. Yeah. They're looking for, like you said, Rex Roth has kind of come, you know, emerged to the top of that. They're looking for a few other guys to to pop out of that group. My guess is, and, and this is more of a projection than it is a, a reality at this moment, is Jaden Harrell is probably your next interior guy right now mm-hmm. um you know like if but well i, I say that meaning <clears throat> excuse me in 2024 that i think that he's probably going to be an elite special teamer you know on three to four units there rex roth might be your number two you know your number one leo and your number two weak side if if jackson either a goes down or if higgins has to step out and they move jackson to, to middle backer or, or something to that effect Carson Shire is the one, again, that I think that they really like and he's been hurt and they really need him in there. Um, you know, Zach Tweet, we haven't seen, we just haven't seen very much of, you know, and, and you're, he's getting to that point. I think once you get to that year three and certainly next spring, that's where, to me, the fork in the road lies, you know, in your career. And, you know, I, one person that's not on the roster, and this is a different position group, but AJ Lawson, you know, we kind of wondered about that. He's not on the roster anymore. So I'm, you know, with everything with, uh, with what happened to, um, you know, Kay, that kind of stunted any of those questions, but you know, that was, and I'd love to, Hey, let's catch up with Kirk at some point, but they nixed that. So. Um, yeah. I, at first I thought he just wasn't invited. Yeah, to camp, but then like you, I looked at the roster and I was like, "Wow, he's not on there anymore." So yeah, I don't know what the heck happened there. Yeah, you know, you don't know if he moved on. You know, I checked his social media; there wasn't any kind of update there. You know, did he quit? Is he going to school? Did he transfer? Did he leave? You know, you know, there hasn't been any word. Nothing from like the transfer portal. Like nobody's gotten him in there, so I don't know. Yeah, but that leads us to talking about the secondary here before we take our first break or only break of the, you know what, let's take a break now. And then we'll, yeah. that that's a better tease to have people come back and listen to us talk about yeah. the secondary. Um, 
Well, I'll let folks know that support for this podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at SUI.org. That is SUI.org. Thank you to Systems Unlimited for their support of the podcast and support very important ventures in East Central Iowa. We're going to hear from a few more sponsors, and Scott and I will be back on the other side to talk about the defensive backs. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483, 400-4483. Hi, this is AJ Perez, managing partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. Do you need a great electrical contractor or fire and water restoration specialist? Well, contact Lance Bolin at LB Electric and LJ Construction in North Liberty. Lance has served the corridor for many years and is ready to help you. Call Lance Bolin at 319-640-1116. That's 319-640-1116. Or visit LJ underscore construction on Instagram for licensed and insured electrical work, fire and water restoration, and remodeling. And we're back. Everybody on the YouTube feed just saw me fighting with my <laughs> headphones. Oh, not enough coffee yet. I'll, I'll settle in here. But uh, thank you to our sponsors. Uh, we appreciate their support of the podcast, allowing us to bring you these things free of charge. No Patreon, any of that stuff. We have a f- a free Hawk-centric podcast every day of the week, Monday through Friday. Uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Pat Hardy and KCJJ, guys on the flagship podcast Tuesdays. I'm with you for the mailbag. Scott and I are here on Thursday with the hot spot. We'll have rapid reaction coming after the games on Saturdays, which is well, to give us you another day. And then Brian Hurley, former Iowa punter, is doing Hawkeye History podcast. That'll be up there Sunday night. So pretty much during the football season, you'll get a fresh podcast on this feed every day of the week so make sure to check those out uh sign up uh subscribe like all that stuff the kids say um before we get back into it uh hawkeye fans i've got a tip for you no it's not gambling advice you wouldn't want that from me uh you have to check out randy ingles awesome artwork at under the kitchen dot square dot site again that is under thekitchen.square.site. You could find pieces on some of your favorite Hawkeye athletes, past and present. Tim Dwight, Spencer Lee, Keegan and Chris Murray, they're all available and they're all reasonably priced and come with certificates of authenticity. Check them out. That's Randy Angle at underthekitchen.square.site. Great pieces up there already, and he's adding as we go along here. So check that out. Great for the Hawkeye room in your house, the garage, uh, anywhere you put them, they will look great. So check that out. That is Randy Ingle under the kitchen dot square dot site. When we left off, Scott, we were talking about uh, the defense. We'll get to the secondary here. 
more interceptions in a open practice than I remember in quite some time. Part of that is taking the shots downfield, right. which is a good thing, I think, and working that out. But uh, I, I think the takeaway for me that made me feel best about what I saw was Jamari Harris look like Jamari Harris, and that is a key for this team. He got attacked, and he lost some some matchups, which isn't a bad thing because it means the offense is working against him. But he also battled, you know, like uh, you know he got a pi early, and then he gets a, an interception early. Um, you know, he got attacked down the field twice in consecutive plays, Seth Anderson and Deontay Vines, and then next thing you know, you know he's out there competing each and every down that's what you want from a cornerback they're never going to be perfect I mean if you are you're in a lockdown not even first rounder you're a lottery pick in the NFL draft type of thing so he's going to be tested he's going to be tested repeatedly and they've got some good teams and the fact that Iowa's tested him is a good thing for the offense but it's also a good thing for him and he looked the part and um, probably what I was most encouraged with were the other younger guys T.J. Hall uh, Deshaun Lee, for sure. I think he could be really good in, in a, you know, maybe even this year, but certainly in the future. Um, Cohen Entringer playing some safety. I thought, okay, good. These are second year guys getting their opportunities and they look like they're, they're doing okay. Same thing with Brendan Diaz Fernandez, who was out all last year. He was playing a lot of cash I saw. And I thought, okay, good. They could use a, a backup cash. And, and he's, you know, I don't know if he ends up there, but, um, you know, whereas Castro is certainly a lights out hitter, decent cover guy, um, you know, safety type. And, he, you know, he might be playing some safety too. You know, you might need a, an extra cash depending on what happens with uh, the gambling investigation. But overall, mm-hmm. um, the secondary looked just like you'd think it would look. It just played, it just faced a better offensive unit, which I think is great for everybody. Yeah, it was nice to see you know, the back and forth, as you said, wins on both sides. And um, you make a good point. I think Jamari Harris or whoever is playing that, it will be him. But there could be other guys that get in there, nickel, stuff like that. Teams are going to shy away from throwing at Cooper DeGene. They're going to test the other corners on this team. That's not to say Cooper's not going to get any action, but they're going to be careful with him. Um, and when that's the case, the other guys have to step up and make it, you know, make it known right away that, hey, you can come my way, but you're not getting anything on this side. Or you're you're going to be limited. So um, that's a big component for me is can that other side of the field hold up? And uh, we may not find out early in the season, um, but eventually. And that's nice, too, that they'll have some time to kind of to settle in. And And that's what I really liked with. TJ Hall out there and into Sean Lee. I think both of them look like competitive guys. They're guys that are going to see a, a lot of action. Um, you know, Hall, you know, depending on what happens with gambling could be out there quite a bit early on. Um, Lee, what two interceptions, two different ways. I mm-hmm. thought, you know, I was really impressed with him. You know, he was probably my, okay. I just saw somebody young that really, you know, turn my head for sure. And that's a good thing because those were guys, I mean, Lee was a late recruit, you know, and, and Hall was a steal, um, you know, the, uh, first, you know, the winter day steal and, and Lee was what um, second signing day, steal, uh-huh. right, basically. And here they are out there playing and competing like, 
you know, a lot of like, like everybody else that preceded them, you know, and that's, and you know, it when you see it, when you look at Iowa secondary, like these guys can play and you look at those two and for sure. And, and, you know, as far as safety goes, um, I won't say that Wampa and, you know, and Schulte, but especially Wampa, you know, we didn't have to mention him very much, which isn't a bad thing either. He wasn't beat. He didn't steal too many things, but he was, uh, but he's to me is a, is a difference maker back there, you know, with his athletic ability. And, and, you know, and one of the things I was impressed with was Schulte was right there on a touchdown pass from McNamara to Anderson. And so it had to be a perfect pass. And, and Anderson had to show great strength in order to not have it picked off. And uh, I thought it was good for the offense. And I thought it was good for the defense because Schulte actually showed he was there for the pass in the end zone. But, you know, hey, Seth Anderson came down with it. So good for him. Another guy I wanted to mention that we didn't mention at linebacker, who I think is it's, it's a nice safety net, is, is Kyler Fisher. Um, right, really good yeah. special teams player, but you kind of saw on kids day that he's just solid. He's not a, he's not going to wow you, but if you, if he has to go in there, I, I don't think anybody should panic. Yeah. I, I can't believe I didn't mention him Rob earlier because that's who, when I talked to Seth Wallace, that's kind of their number three, even over Rex Roth right now, that he would be their Leo if they started out and he would be their weak side. If somebody got hurt, I can't believe I forgot him. It feels like I, I did too. I like <laughs> he got by both of us, but he's one yeah. of those guys that you don't think of, yeah. but the coaches are certainly aware of. Right. And you, you know, he's going to show up on special teams. He's been really good there, obviously uh, a few years ago you know, significant touchdown at, the, yeah. at Nebraska. And, and so, yeah, that's, I, again, I'm like, ah, you know, cause people listening to this are probably like, what about him? And we're like, you know, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. And uh, special teams should be good again. And uh, we kind of saw that ball has that sound coming off Drew Stevens's foot. That is just like, a, yeah, it's, it's impressive. He was hitting from 50. Um, not a problem there. I, I think, you know, when you, when you talk about Stevens and, and Tory Taylor, I was, as long as they stay healthy, they're fine. They're, they're better than fine, but they're, they have standouts at both of those positions, which is a key, as we know, in this program, when you play a lot of close games. They are what PJ Fleck would say is elite. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Tory Taylor was our first, first team all-american punter i think uh drew stevens has the potential to be in that category as a kicker and and luke elkin as long as long as nobody knows who he is they're fine there too and and then you look at returners i don't i imagine cooper DeGene is going to be your punt returner uh you'd be an idiot not to have him back there unless it's a blowout game and you want to get your eyes on somebody else kick return you know caleb johnson really wants to do it I don't know if I would really want him to do it, but, you know, if he's going to be your, you know, your top, you know, running back. And I think. How do you see the running back carries breaking down? Because I think that determines if you would want to use him on kick. If you're, if you're putting a lot on his plate in terms of carries, then I think it makes it much, it makes it more difficult to put him back there on kick returns. I, how I would break it down and how I think it'll sort of break it down is, He'll have 50 in competitive games. He'll have 50% of the touches and snaps from that position group that maybe it's like for every four series, he'll be in two 
for every, you know, 10 carries, he'll have five, you know, things like that. Because LaShawn's capable and I think Jazz Patterson's certainly capable. I would feel more comfortable if I was Ferentz, not necessarily LeVar, but if I was Ferentz, if say Jazz Patterson became the, the kick returner or a receiver became the kick returner. But if they feel like Caleb Johnson's your guy, and it's a different, it's certainly different than, than punt return. Punt return's about uh, getting the ball, field it quickly, have quick movements, and just get up the field. Whereas you're a long strider, you have it's vision that really matters and kick return, and, and, and Caleb Johnson's got that. I mean, if there's a running back he reminds me of, it's the same surname, but it's Larry Johnson you know, going back 20 years. I remember him with the Chiefs when I covered him and Penn State, of course. And he's got the same type of build, same kind of physical ability and wheels. So I think he, you know, I don't want to be too high, but if he stays, if he stays healthy and if this line progresses, I think he's between 12 and 1400 yards rushing this year. Yeah. And and you make a good point. I don't know, particularly week one, week three, those are weeks where I think you can lighten his load a little bit. Um, I'm not sure what to expect at Iowa State. I think Iowa State still will have a, a pretty good defense, so you're going to need him more there, I think. But those one and three weeks, I think that's where you get, you know, two and three some more run, so to speak. Mm-hmm, for sure. And maybe even all the way down, you know, to, to Terrell Washington. Yeah, I mean, those guys get four games, so yeah. – you know, wouldn't be a wouldn't be the worst thing if you like them both to make sure that hey, week one, you know, TJ, you've been around the program. You're going to get some carries in the fourth quarter if we're up, and then likewise, uh, maybe week three, it's Kamari Moulton. You know, and, and and we're presuming something that may not happen, but I expect it to happen. So I would say that uh, you know, and, and mix up the carries for the other, and I, I'm sure they're also looking at especially somebody like Patterson. As you know, if I was up, let's say the first game, thirty-four to nothing in the in, early in the fourth quarter, then maybe they, they yeah, get, they're above twenty-five. Yeah, I, I expect them to be above twenty-five for that one. <laughs> if they don't get, if they don't push the number up in that game, watch out because yeah. people are going to lose their collective minds. Well, if they kick the shit out of them, Robin, if it's like even in the forties, you know what we'll hear all weekend? Nothing. No. <laughs> We won't hear a damn word. We won't hear anything from anybody. They won't even care. It'll be like, all right, now it's Labor Day weekend. We're just going to go out and go to our party or boat or whatever. And, um, <laughs> and then it won't be till Monday or Tuesday that we'll finally get the, oh, okay, here we go. Um, but um, then anyway, yeah, I, I think Patterson's like the guy to me that they'll probably say, you know what? We want to see a lot more carries from him. We want to see him get hit. We want to see him run the ball in some of these games. And then when you get to like the five minute mark and it's 41 to nothing, then they'll say, all right, let's throw out there and get, uh, get TJ hit a little bit and get him some carries. And same thing with uh, Kamari Moulton, maybe. Yep. Good depth there. Good to see. Um, Let's move on to um, the elephant in the room. And that's the ongoing gambling investigation that we seem to talk about every week because it remains a story. Um, I keep waiting every day for us to get the next round yeah. of uh, of uh, names, but we'll see what happens. Um, 
But we got to talk to Noah and Shannon on Media Day and uh, give the kid a ton of credit for coming out there and facing it head on. Um, he doesn't feel like there's any criminal uh, charges coming his way, which is good. Uh, he's waiting on the NCAA, as we talked about earlier. Um, and I don't know if the NCAA is waiting on the investigation to wrap up completely or what, but I think that's kind of silly. I think they should, you know, if you have a kid uh, like Noah who, um, and I don't know, I mean, it, it's kind of wonky in the sense that the NCAA may not may not know for sure if he isn't going to be criminally charged, you know? They can't go on what he's saying. Um, I don't know. It just seems like it's not very tight in terms of the NCAA analyzing this. It, it, it almost seems to me, Scott, like they're waiting for a conclusion here, and we may not get that for a while. Yeah, this, this is incredibly frustrating. And I think among the frustrating parts is locally at Iowa and Iowa State, too, for that matter, it, there's such immense interest and speculation that you want a conclusion or at least something definite, definite for these athletes. But when you look at the big picture of what the NCAA has to deal with at this point, with a lot of the realignment discussions and eligibility issues, um, NIL, new leadership there, it's, it's one of those topics that just doesn't meet the priority of the whole organization versus the narrow scope here. It sucks for the individual, though. And I think that I would like to see them either, A, let's just go out on a limb here. Let's just kind of get it out there. And if they can appeal it, they'll appeal it. Um, But let's say for the sake of conclusion that one player gets two games, one player gets four games, one player gets six games. Let's just say, you know, I don't know which one or, or which of the three. They peace of mind would be very helpful right now for any of the three. Now, the person with two games might just say, you know what, <laughs> even if I appeal it, I'm not going to play because they're not going to risk a 41 to nothing win in week one to uh, play me rotational snaps or, or whatever. Week four, appeal it, but expect not probably not to play for a full month. Week six, that's a different animal. If you got six games that you're dealing with, then you might be like, you know, uh, you know, you might hear something different come week three or week four. So, you know, I, I think it's interesting that Kirk has had what every player that's either discussed, known to be under investigation, actually charged, except what Jack Johnson. I think we're all out there. I didn't see Jack Johnson, but I, saw I did him. not either. I saw Aaron. And Long. again, you don't know. Maybe he's hurt. Maybe he didn't get invited to camp. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We don't know. So it could be, but you know, to see Aaron Blum out there, he wasn't practicing. And Kirk said there was one that wasn't there. That was, you know, he said that in his comments on the podium. So I, I, you know, I'm just speculating it, you know, it could be him because we did ask about Jeremiah Pittman. Mm -hmm. He was at a a wedding, you know, hope he enjoyed himself. But, (laughs) um, (laughs) but anyway, uh, I think overall, um, you know, when you look at this, you know, I, I don't know, Rob, what, 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 you know, do you think, what, what do you think of this investigation at this point? Is it, you know, am I often saying it's probably time for the NCAA just to, even if they're wrong, even if they're punitive, just to come down with something so everybody can start to move on and or appeal or, you know, should they just continue until they have the perfect solution here? 
I think it's hard because they, you know, they they changed the guidelines and and the penalties back in the spring or early summer, whenever it was, um, you know. But do they have the information from the investigators on somebody like Noah Shannon, or is he still being investigated? Yeah, you know, or are they and. My guess is there's probably no communication between the NCAA and the, and the investigators in this right. thing. They're just waiting for, as we said before, the conclusion. This, this is this is who gambled. This is what they gambled on. This is how much they gambled. All those components. But that's my sense. I don't know that the NCAA is just waiting for this to wrap. Like last was it last week where we got the the next set of names or the week before? Um, I know it was last week. Um, then the DCI sends out a press release saying that they're still investigating. Yeah, two, uh, yeah, exactly. And like two and a so, half weeks ago, they were like, um, this seems to be it. So I'm like, okay, right. they've ended this phase. No, it comes back stronger the next week. So if you're the NCAA and you see that they're still investigating, do you just say, listen, we'll just wait. I mean, why make a decision now when we don't have all the information? So I don't know. The investigators, I would think, I mean, what are they really looking for here? What What's the end game with this investigation? Why is it taking so long? Um, you know, you're, you're playing with people's lives. And again, they broke the rules. They knew what the rules were. I get that. But at some point you want a verdict instead mm-hmm. of just being left in limbo and, and twisting in the wind. And again, it's your fault. You messed up. You did something you weren't supposed to do. But, you know, there also needs to be a realization and, and a, you know, a, a, you know, the understanding that these are people's lives and they only have a small window of time to play. And particularly knowing Shannon, who came back for his sixth year. Now, if he was betting on Iowa games and, you know, it, that was then whatever you know then he's then i've got no sympathy at all there but yeah. at this point if he made i don't know what he did but it, it, whatever it was it doesn't seem like it's it's risen to the 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 more severe infractions that we've been you know informed of so far so i don't know it's it's just it's really a messy situation that we all want a conclusion to, we all want to see end, but it doesn't seem like anybody else is on that timeline. No. And, you know, and that's one of the things when you deal with investigators and crime and criminal things, and, and it's a different timeline than what we're used to. Um, we're used to, you know, knowledge and then boom, there's the, the verdict, you know, whether it's a game or it's a, or whatever, you know, and this is, different and and it's and it deserves to be different i mean we're talking about criminal law versus even ncaa infractions but you know when, you know let's talk about noah for a minute you know stand up guy answered the bell he's done that his whole career and then you know backed off big 10 media days because he didn't want to be a distraction but came back on iowa media day and talked all about it and you know, if let's say he comes back and he bet on NBA basketball and he bet on maybe even an NFL game or something like that. Even if he bet over $800, even if he bet $1,500, is that worth wiping out half of the season? I think that's something that the NCAA should, I, I understand that they came back with these new guidelines hmm. and it's, it's understandable, but 
you know, at first I felt a certain way. Now I've, you know, based on some of these other ones where you got Arlen Bruce, um, you know, betting the under on an Iowa game, you know, pl- betting on what, 12 games when he was, you know, 12 Iowa games, 11 of which he played in and, you know, bet the under and, you know, I have zero sympathy for that. Yeah, that none whatsoever, you know, and, and really anybody who bets on your team, you know, that's wrong. There's really no ambiguity to me, you know, you know, I, and I know these guys have, were born 10 years after Pete Rose was, uh, you know, yeah. banned from baseball. So we're the old dudes in the room on this, but, but still everybody knows gambling on your own team is wrong. And so I do think that there can, if that's the way the NCAA comes down and says, you bet on your own team, you're never playing again. I'm all right with that. Um, Jake Remsburg, you know, bet at what a thousand dollars or something like that. Mostly NBA, couple NCAA games, use some fake stuff from, you know, his mom's account from, you know, these the Iowa state tackle. I'm less like, okay, he didn't bet on Iowa state. He didn't, you know, that to me is like, okay, that should, you know, if you bet on your own program, you know, you're gone. And then there's the ambiguity of what if Noah Shannon bet on Iowa women in the final four, you know, at first that's, that seems to be a execution when it comes to your eligibility is that, does the punishment fit the crime there? I don't know. I, it is according to their rules, but is it right? Yeah, I, that's what makes this complicated. And I understand why they're taking so long because in effect, you are adjudicating somebody's career here. You know, if, if they bet on their own school, they're done according to their rules. And is it something that you want to legislate somebody like a Noah Shannon if that's the case, I don't know that that's the case, but if that is the case, you want to say, you'll never play again when you bet, Hey, I think, I think the Hawkeye women are going to win against South Carolina. Then, you know, you're in trouble, but, but we're now at month three and a half of this investigation. And, and we've seen, you know, criminal, you know, legitimate non aggravated misdemeanors <laughs> make yeah. it, make their rounds through the courts. Uh, this is these are aggravated misdemeanors that will get guilty pleas and fines. There'll be no jail time. I can't imagine. Maybe, maybe somebody who bet on their own team might get something a little stronger, but I just can't. I just can't see anybody going to jail for any of this stuff. I've kind of heard through the grapevine. I'm sure you've probably heard about this too. That the defense for some of the the folks that are. Um, in really deep yeah. betting on their own teams is going to be that the investigators obtained yeah. those records illegally. Good luck with that. I, I'm not sure how that holds up, but really what else are you going to do? Especially if your career's on the line. Yeah. Well, I'll look at it this way, Rob, that that may have helped them out in the court of law. Maybe those charges get thrown out. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that will get them a not guilty verdict. But I also look at the NCAA as kind of saw Mountain Landis looking at the, the yep. Chicago Black Sox saying, doesn't matter. You gambled. You know, mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't have to follow the, the law. We follow our rules. And you could, they could be illegal in how they obtain that information, but you still did it. So therefore, you know, you're never going to play again. And I don't blame them for that. <laughs> I really yeah. don't. I, I mean, I think there's a difference here between, you know, getting it legally on your record for the rest of your life and going through the NCAA. Yeah. And it's just that, like you said, that gray area, what, what is the, 
you know, how how big of, of an infraction is it betting on the women's basketball team in the final four? Mm-hmm. If you're an, you know, if you're an Iowa student, you know, on the surface, you look at it and say, e, that's mm-hmm. not good, but it's nowhere near betting on the actual game that you're playing in. And then where do you, you know, where does betting, you know, a Sacramento Kings basketball game, where does that fall in for somebody that's on the football team and knows Keegan Murray? You know, we've talked about those Mm -hmm. conflicts before. So it's hard to have steadfast guidelines beyond how many times somebody bets and how much money somebody bets and what they're betting on. So that's what, to me, makes it more complicated. But betting on your own team, to me, is a, is a non-starter. Once you do that, it's you, whatever gets thrown, you know, if the book gets thrown at you, it's probably deserved. Yeah. And, you know, and I think let's, you know, take Noah out of this, but let's look at a couple of other people. I won't say their names because – they haven't come forward yet and I'm not going to you know, do that, but let's say somebody else is implicated um, for gambling on Iowa or gambling on um, you know, not, not football, but in other sport on Iowa or another NCAA affiliated sport, you know, maybe it is football, but it's not Iowa football, you know, is a lifetime ban really necessary or could that turn into a season long ban, you know, maybe, but maybe you retain a year of eligibility, you know, there's all kinds of discussions with this. And, you know, later on today, we, we get a chance to visit publicly all of us with, uh, with Beth Getz and maybe she'll provide a little clarity to this situation. Um, you know, we haven't had <coughs> really any kind of contact with anybody at Iowa in that kind of chair, other than, on the side, you know, and, and, and since Gary Barta announced his retirement, so it'll be nice to see, um, you know, maybe she'll have some sort of um, assessment of the situation. Well, see how much, see how much she, she's been told. It sounds like nobody's really getting any information until we get it. It's almost like yeah. it goes public and then they find out. I'm sure they're hearing things though. Let's wrap up with a little hoops, Scott. Um, Iowa men and women, as we said at the top of the podcast, wrapped up their foreign trips, 3-0 and each. I wouldn't take a lot out of this. It's just based on the competition, it's more of a um, a chance for, for these guys to go over and experience other cultures and other countries, and that's really what the, the main part of this is. And then also building chemistry, uh, things like that, team bonding, uh, all important. Uh, to these trips. I think if I took anything away from the men's side, it was, it looks like a lot of guys can contribute. And that's kind of, I think the blueprint they're going to have to use this year. There isn't, you know, there, there isn't a Luca Garza. There's not a Keegan Murray. There's not a Chris Murray. There's not, I don't, there's not a go-to guy like that. Um, so you're going to need to do it as a whole. And we saw some good play from Owen Freeman, the true freshman. Uh, Cricky played well. Uh, but everybody seemed to have a time where they contributed over there. And that's what this team's going to need. Josh Dix stood out at times. So I think from that perspective, um, 
that's a good sign where you have a, a lot of guys on the roster contributing, and that's what they're going to need. They're going to need, uh, depending on the night, maybe it's Perkins one night, maybe it's Cricky one night. Uh, they didn't have Patrick McCaffrey over there, so that's a, a piece that we'll see that will be differently, obviously, when they come back over stateside. But that was good to see. And then some of the younger players on the women's team, too, uh, some of the players we haven't uh, seen or seen contribute yet. Uh, Addie O'Grady is, is obviously one that people are going to have their eyes on with Monica Sonano moving on, who's going to fill her shoes at least to the degree. It's kind of like the Jack Campbell thing. Mm. Um, there's going to be a drop-off, but you don't want it to be precipitous. She looked like she played pretty well over there. So I think it's a good experience for some of those kids that maybe have just been a couple minutes here or there uh, for both the men and the women uh, to get some experience and, and to get some competition and get a get a chance to maybe build some confidence. Sure. There's nothing wrong with ever going overseas. I mean, I know, I think I posted like the, just on Twitter, I tweeted out like the result of the men's game or something. Somebody, you know, kind of typically were like, well, what, what's the benefit of playing these games or blah, blah, blah. Really the benefit is there's multi, <laughs> there's multi reasons. One is, you know, you want to start, start talk about the pure part of it is they had 10, what, 10 practices that they had this summer working together. That's yep. really impactful. Uh, they got to play together as a team. They got a lot of bonding time and we have a lot of new players. It's, uh, let's talk about the men's team. When you're, when you're trying to find some things going on, that's not bad. And uh, come on, man, you know, they got to see the world and they do a lot of student athletes. I mean, they, they represent the program in an incredible way. Um, let them have some fun, you know, and, I know Patrick McCaffrey didn't play. Did he make it for the last game, though? I saw his name on the box score, but I don't know if you got it. Yeah, I didn't see any. Fo- I just, The only thing I had to go on were the photos. Like the, They took like those team photos after yeah. the games with the players from both teams, and I didn't see him in any of those, yeah. but that doesn't mean he wasn't there. I knew he had like the was it like a Nike camp or something. For, yeah, for the skills, skills camp. First two games, and then I'd heard that he was going to join the team for game three, and I thought um, – I that would probably not be a good idea. <laughs> I don't know I mean, why. I, I don't know why he would want to do that. He's missing most of the trip and the, and yeah. the, the the cool parts like the food yeah. and and the sightseeing. Well, yeah, exactly. And then uh, you know, so you're going to show up for one day and in Barcelona, I, you know, that, it sounds like it would be an incredible waste of money you know, for the for the you know, I mean, spending money on the guy having a ticket to go across. To Barcelona for one day and one game. I mean, come on now. Let's well anyway, I'm not gonna go too deep in that. But you know, and then the women's team, as you said, they are replacing a 2000 career point scorer at post. That is the area they chose not to go after in the portal. They did not get a portal person. So they need those players to come forward because this team is not just merely competing for a Big Ten title. They're competing for the national title. And the fact they sold out every single ticket is unbelievable. Um and, and just an incredible accomplishment for this team and this program, but the expectations are going to be sky high. And I'll say this, and, and I'll try to say this as diplomatically as I can, that there is a, an additional level of scrutiny in so many cases applied to the, the top men's sports that don't often filter to the women's sports, that it's more of a don't pick on them as much. 
that's going to not apply this year. When you have the most exciting player in women's basketball, when you have a team that went to the national title game, there is going to be an extra, and when they've sold out every single home game, when they're going to play a game at Kinnick Stadium, that, that, that type of scrutiny is going to be just as much there as it is for football as just as much as there is, is for men's basketball. And so the wins and the losses are going to matter. So they needed that extra, those 10 practices to make sure that Addie O'Grady is going to be your primary post. She doesn't have to be Monica Zanano, certainly not Megan Gustafson, but she has to be good. She has to be there. And, and so 10 practices, perfect. Going over to Europe, playing a lot, perfect. Seeing Hannah Stolke, how, you know, could she replace McKenna Warnock in an effective fashion? And you know, she's a different kind of player, but could she do that? That's really important. So I, I think it's it was really a good trip. The final score, throw that out. Who cares? I mean, it's just about playing. And it's about having fun. I mean, they should enjoy themselves. They are young people. This is an experience that they'll never get again. Um, I wish I could have gone. Oh, yeah. Lucky B Ray, you know, and they, and as much as they seem to love Italy, they love Croatia more, you know. So I, I think this is, uh, you know, in fact, B Ray, uh, Brian Ray, the photographer, uh, took a picture of, uh, I think they were in Split, maybe in, in Croatia or whatever, where they were King's Landing for Game of Thrones, and uh, there was like a basketball court, and, you know, and I'm like, I'm like, is that the place where the mountain fought the Viper? <laughs> you know. So uh, you make a good point, though. It'll it'll be it's an interesting test case for us in Iowa City, not that far removed from dropping the curtains to make the arena look more full to sold out. Because when the public, when the fan base invests its time, energy, money into something, you have more critics. Yeah. So if you don't achieve what people expect you to reach, achieve, and, and you too in the in the locker room. I mean, Iowa in Iowa women's basketball locker room, the next step is to win it all. Mm-hmm. That's their goal too. But I think along the way, whereas people, you know, previously may have caught on as the season went on, it's coming from the jump this year. Everything's going to be scrutinized. Well, you know, today is when the general public, the non-season um, ticket holders, non-football season ticket holders get a chance to buy tickets for uh, the, the crossover at Kinnick. Um, my wife's a season ticket holder. She wanted me to get her tickets the other day for it. Um, I got them. There weren't a whole lot of tickets left, and that was on Tuesday. So I don't know if they're going to expand parts of the stadium or, or what, because uh, it's in the north end zone, but um yeah the scrutiny is going to be there people love this team rob um i've never seen anything like it here they there's an attachment that the general public has with these young women you know not just caitlin clark but kate martin and gabby marshall and it was that way with sanano last year and it'll be this way with happy like hannah you know and uh all of them that they just have there's a like they're I kind of compare it to when a small town has an elite like girls basketball team and the whole town just revolves around it and they go to state and they win it. And there's, you know, thousand, you know, 5,000 people in a 3000 person town that goes there to, to celebrate them. That's the way 
this community and this state is about the women's basketball program here. And so they love them so intensely, but I think it's not just the people who will be there year after year when Caitlin Clark leaves or when um, Ali Disterhoff was the great scorer or Sam Logic. Th- those people will be there in their corner year in, year out, no matter what. And they'll be less likely to be overly critical if things Absolutely. don't go well. It's going to be the new folks. It's going to be the the people who are matriculating over from the men's basketball side who are either fed up or agnostic about Fran or whatever. And then they'll apply the same level of scrutiny to the women's basketball program that they have to the men's and and football. And so when they lose and they're going to lose, they're going to lose a game. You know, I don't know how many, not very many, I don't think, but let's say they go to Maryland or Indiana and they lose. They're going to, oh, this team sucks. This, you know, that's what's going to happen. And it's going to ruin some of the experiences for some of these people. But hopefully they don't lose in Ames. Ooh, <laughs> the boy, the poopoo would hit the fan. Yeah, they would. But, you know, they, they may lose to Virginia Tech. I mean, oh, they're yeah. a Final Four team right, right away. And they've got an elite post. And Iowa doesn't have an elite post right now. And even if they did, still have Sonano come back magically. She has another year of eligibility. She's back. Um, they still might lose because they're that good, but you've got to look at, you know, basketball is different than football and it's all about March. It's all about February and March. And, um, we've talked about that with with the men's basketball team applying that standard that they could be good in the regular season with men's basketball, but unless you do something in March, it's kind of irrelevant. And, uh, the men's basketball team hasn't really done that. The women's have, but now having Caitlin Clark back for one more year and those other players returning for their last year. It's the hype is out of nothing I've ever seen before. And it will continue to build and will hit the next level when uh, they play at Kinnick stadium, that's going to bring more hype and attention. So we'll watch this all unfold as we get to uh, November uh, when the games mean something. So that's our basketball talk for this week, and uh, we'll see when we talk about basketball again. It will, uh, there's always something to talk about when it comes to uh, the major sports over at Iowa. And wrestling will be obviously a part of the conversation. We got a little bit of that with Ben Keeter earlier in this show. Scott, uh, what do you got going on the athletic? What's out? What's coming? Yeah, I wrote about the most interesting man in college sports, and that's Jennings Dunker. Who was um, eating while I was interviewing. Yes, he was. I, I even made that part of my lead. that he had a half <laughs> a sandwich and a sports drink and couldn't shake hands, you know, and, and just, but listening to his teammates, talking to his high school coach, there's nobody like him. He's like the Paulson brothers meets Josh Oglesby, <laughs> you know, cause they always talk, you know, like Gable or Shaney would always talk about J.O. stories and, you know, Aaron White would say the same thing. And I think that's what I get with, with uh, him, except, you know, he's a pre-med guy. He's been on the Dean's list these four years, but he's also the same guy that's let ducks out um, in his high school on a senior prank day. And then he was told, unless he cleans up all the duck shit, that he's not going <laughs> to, they're not going to give him his diploma, you know? So he had to go in and clean up. He's like, I wouldn't make the janitor do that anyway. Um, but the stories are just endless from talking to these players. And he's only a sophomore, but, you know, like Logan Jones and him have just this incredible competition that's based off their squats. You know, Logan holds the record at 700 pounds. He's at 680. But then 
dunk got him in the in the hay bale toss in in overtime or whatever <laughs> and then you know and you know jones will be like he's freaking holding it over my head all the time and, <laughs> and uh Herc and then, seems to think that logan jones may break the street next year yeah that's what he it's said like, so. it's like uh kobayashi and joey chestnut <laughs> <laughs> yeah except i'd actually want to watch a hate bell talk yeah I that's true i can't handle that hot no. shit but but uh you know and then he's like when he can't think of anything to say logan's like he just sits there and he flexes on you and he uh blinks really fast you know <laughs> just just uh you know the way he fishes uh mason richmond talked about that and just on and on he was such a it was fun. It was one of those stories that I haven't had a whole lot of those because everything's been so damn serious, but it was actually fun to write something like that. Um, today we got Beth Getz and I'm really fascinated, Rob. Um, you know, I know some people don't want to hear this, but she's the most qualified candidate I was ever had for this job. It's not close. I mean, you look back at her historically, um, what she's accomplished, what she, where she's been, what she's done. She is the perfect candidate for this job, especially at this moment in time. And so I'm anxious to hear what she has to say about Iowa into the future, you know, and I know there's a segment of the fan base um, that would, let's, let's just say that they would prefer somebody like Bob Stoops comes in and be the, is the AD. And that's the dumbest freaking thing you can do in today's world. Barry Alvarez was probably the last of that type of breed, you know, football coach who goes in and is the AD. You've got to be, you've got to understand administration. You've got to understand all the complexities involved in college sports. You can't just be a figurehead, you know, and go out there and wave to the crowd and they love you. Um, So she knows, she understands, she's got a unique perspective. And, and after all the difficulties I was had in so many areas, all the lawsuits, I think she might, she has, um, she has a unique perspective that I think will be really important. So I'm anxious to hear what she has to say, you know, what's her vision. You know, she's, I'm sure her vision's got to be kind of twofold. One is I'm an interim. So I've got to make sure that, you know, she can't just go out and change everything right away, but she's got to also know how to maintain and enhance and then, you know, incorporate part of her vision. And so I think that's, uh, that's something I'm really anxious to hear more about today. Yep, this is her audition here um, until uh, early next year when they uh, supposedly, at least what they said, they're going to uh, take a look at other candidates as well. Um, And the people, I think the folks that have a problem with Beth are people that have prejudice that have nothing to do with her resume and her job. So uh, that's just, it's the world we live in now. I know that's cliche, but it's just kind of people need to react and push back uh, based on beliefs and, and mm-hmm. things like that. So um, I won't go any further into those weeds. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and I understand some people saying, you know, I want this to be a, a national search, but what they don't understand is I, I think Gene Taylor was somewhat like this too, is if you have the opportunity to keep somebody like that there, you keep them there, you know, in this, this summer, and whether it's casual conversations just on the side or on record, I've talked to probably upwards of 10 people in the industry, former commissioners, athletic directors at current schools, both inside the Big Ten and outside the Big Ten, agents, 
um, people who have search engines and there's, you know, search firms who are all like, she's going to get that job. Right. You know, even there were two, there have been contacted by two people who would be decent candidates for the job. They have a resume and they have a connection who have been like, okay, if anything happens, let me know. But Beth's a really good candidate. <laughs> they, they know that they can't beat her, you know, that they don't have it. And for people to say, well, I would just want to open up. You never know what they're going to get. What are you going to get? You know, I, I guarantee she's better than at least half of the sitting athletic directors out there. It's not close in the big 10, let alone outside. And, you know, okay. You know, Roger Goodell's not going to say, I'm going to leave the NFL so I could go be 80 at, at Iowa. That's been my dream. You know, so what, what is it, you know? So you know what it is. I know what it is. I'm not going to say it, but it, at some point, you know, I don't, I don't think that opinion is shared, however, Rob, by the critical mass of Iowa fans. I think the critical mass of Iowa fans believe if she's the best candidate, don't let her get away. And frankly, unless she screws up something this fall, she's the best candidate and she's going to get that job and she'll probably do a pretty good job because she's had an opportunity. I mean, there was twice where she was the interim AD at Minnesota and she was uh, number two. Ultimately, they felt like at that time she was not as qualified in 2016 as she is in 2023. At that time, they felt like they wanted somebody who's a little bit more seasoned. And so they hired Mark Coyle from from Syracuse, who was the AD there. And he was, you know, from Waterloo, Iowa, Minnesota, you know, worked at Minnesota for several years. That made sense at the time. She was the number two choice for Wisconsin. We all know Barry Alvarez groomed. Uh, Chris McIntosh to be his successor and Barry does carry a little more swag than say Gary Barta does and so now is the time she's from St. Louis former college athlete uh, you know ran she was the head of the women's basketball she was the chair of the women's basketball committee in, in NCAA while she was AD at Ball State and she was executive of the year she ran she was in charge of the UConn women's basket uh, women's department let alone the, the basketball program her resume speaks for itself. She's the most qualified candidate I was ever had. Um, unless again, something happens this fall, probably football related. I, I don't see anybody with a better resume, even a sitting AD uh, of a power five school that's better than she, more qualified than she is. And if Iowa were to pass, somebody else would snap her up in a heartbeat. So no that's kind of where you're at right now. But uh, we will talk next week about what she says this afternoon uh, kind of recap that when we come back on the hot spot next Thursday, hit the highlights of that. And uh, we'll have plenty more to talk about next week. Um, but until then, want to thank everybody for listening. Want to thank all of the sponsors and uh, Scott and I will be back to talk to you next week. Again, check out the feed, like subscribe, all that stuff. You can get a new Hawkeye podcast just about every day of the week on our feed here at Hawk Fanatics. So thanks again for listening. And we will talk to you next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.